Today I want to talk to you about fighting the battles that matter. Choose your fight. How many of you have heard that expression, choose your fight, carefully? You know, before I got married, I sat down, I got married at 21, so I was very, very young, and we sat down with a pastoral couple that was coaching us in premarital counseling, and I'll never forget the wise words of this pastoral couple. He said, you know, there's a lot of things to fight about in marriage. Choose your battles carefully. How many married people know that was good advice? And, you know, it was true. I got into marriage, and I realized there's a lot of things to battle over, and some of them don't really matter that much. Raise your hand if you've ever thought about putting the toilet seat down or up. Ladies, put the toilet seat down. Would you put it down? How many of you fight about that? You've had fights about that. Okay, a few of you. Who does the dishes? Come on. Where you put the dirty shoes in the closet or by the front door? How many of you fight about the blanket? Like, I never thought, I thought, what? Wow, got in bed, got all cozy, got all set. My wife comes in, and then, boom, I'm left with no blankets. It's like, whoa, do you, like, wrap yourself up in that thing? I, can I have a little piece? What temperature the thermostat is set on? How many of you fight about that a little bit? Like, some of you, like, I am sweating, and someone, I am freezing here, and it's just... Some of those battles don't really matter. I remember one young couple that uh, my son Grant was traveling with us, and we were with a young couple that was in ministry and had a long trip with them, a several-hour car ride with them. And they started, I asked them, how are you doing in your marriage? They were just newlyweds, and they probably spent the first hour discussing how they fought about washing dishes. He was the cook, and she says she was working. He said, I like to cook, but, you know, I view cooking as an artistic experiment. You know, I'm kind of sloppy. I like to use this pan and that pan, and I'm kind of an artist, and it splashes around. And she says, yeah, and I have to clean up after all his splashing around. And she says, well, you know, either cook and I clean or you clean. And they went on and on and on about the dishes. My, my son, who was like I say, maybe 10 years old in the back, of the back seat of the car. Finally, after an hour discussion, he stopped and said, how many dishes are there? <laughs> Even a 12-year-old realized, a 10-year-old realized, hey, we shouldn't be talking about, we shouldn't be fighting battles that really don't matter. Some of you maybe before you got here to church fought a battle and you're kind of uh, a little bit... Uh, Uh, ticked at each other right now because you fought a battle that didn't matter. But in the spiritual world, there are battles that matter and there are battles that don't matter. And so I want to talk to you about that today. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. We're reading out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 22 through 26 out of the New International Version. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. 
And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would take the word today and make it alive to us. God, I pray that we would fight the battles you want us to fight and walk away from the battles that we should not be fighting. I pray that you would make us wise in how we use our energies, Father. I pray, God, that you would teach us, instruct us, empower us to touch the lives of people that truly need you and not alienate them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy in this passage, and by the way, I mentioned it before, but Timothy was probably about 30, maybe approaching 40 years old at the time. He was living in a society that was very anti-Christian. Nero had just supposedly burned Rome down, blamed it on Christians, and now was pursuing this group of people called the Way or the Jesus followers or Christians. So the society was very anti-Christian. Timothy was a bit timid. He was physically frail, had some stomach issues, and he was insecure about his leadership. And so the Apostle Paul, as this mentor, is speaking to this young man about how to lead in a society that's hard to lead in. And he reaches chapter 2, this portion of Scripture, and he really, he says, Timothy, there's some battles you need to fight, but there's some battles you need to walk away from. And if you engage in arguments, this is how you are to engage in them. And so he mentions to Timothy that there's really three battles worth fighting for this young man. Number one, the battle for purity. Number two, the battle for peace, and number three, the battle for people. Let's start with purity. Look what he says. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. So he starts by saying, hey, we have, to, we have to run away from certain things. Now, it's pretty interesting because throughout all of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, it feels like the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, be a fighter, be on guard, stand strong, be tough, be a man, jump into the battle, don't back off. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Almost like a football coach telling his team, hey, you're going to face an opponent. Or like a sergeant in an army saying, you're going into battle. So, in fact, if you read, if you read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. I mean, this is like rile up, fight, be strong, be courageous, watch out, stand your guard. Man, this is the kind of talk that pumps people up and you say, now I'm ready. And then suddenly, 
Timothy says, flee, run away, be gentle. Like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? I thought you were talking to, to us about being strong and, and jumping into battle and not being afraid. And then he says what seems to be diametrically opposed to what he's been telling Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He says, flee. Here's what I want you to know. How many of you know there's some battles that you engage in and some battles you walk away from? You need to know what battles to fight and what battles to say, you know what, I'm going to walk away from this battle because I am too weak to engage in this battle. And he tells young Timothy, this man, he says to Timothy, this emerging leader, he says, flee the evil desires or lust of youth and pursue. He tells him what to flee and what to pursue. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Now, most commentators, if they look at what are the desires that uh, attack young men especially, I would put three top ones that young men are drawn into and battle big time at a young age. Uh, you know it. I've, I spent a lot of time training young men, mentoring young men, discipling young men. And usually when I sit down with young men, one of the first conversations I have is I'm going to hold you accountable. We need to hold each other accountable and talk very honestly about sexual temptation. So number one, I think, is sexual temptation. Number two, when we talk about uh, the desires of youth, number two is what I would call overindulgence. In other words, not having boundaries and how much you drink and how much you eat and how much you play video games and how much you indulge and how much you pursue after money. So uh, sexual temptation, indulgence temptation, and thirdly, the drive for fame or glory. Half the young men want to be rap stars or music stars or billionaires. Glory and fame is what oftentimes lures people in. And the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, I want you to, you need to know when you're too weak to fight a battle and when you need to run. In, in this passage, he says, flee. Uh, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits outside of their body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. Let me just, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but if you're a young man here today, look up at me. This is really important. If you're a young man here today and you're trying to live for God, and you're single right now, let me tell you, unless you are adamant, unless you are super intentional, unless you make it a fight to battle for sexual purity, then you will fall, period. I've coached a lot of young couples, dating couples, I've never had a young Christian couple that comes to me, and, and, and usually they come to me and say, hey, Pastor, we're dating. <laughs> we're, we really like each other. <laughs> yeah, we're. So what you, what are we going to do it the right way? 
And they're a little bit awkward around each other, looking at each other, and kind of it's the newness of it. And they'll tell me stuff like, yeah, yeah, we want this to be godly. You know, we, every time I take her on a I pray before, God, be with us. And, yeah, we share verses. The, you know, we text each other verses, encouraging each other. Up. You know, we want this to be God-centered. We want it to be really good. Every Christian couple that I talk to starts out that way. There's no couple that I talk to that starts out by saying, hey, guess what, Pastor? Three months from now, we want to cross lines. We want to get sexually active. We want to cross boundaries. We want to be alone in the car or an apartment and really go all the way. No couple says that. But you know what? So many couples actually do. Because they haven't learned how to flee. There are certain temptations that you just run from. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know... I think that if you're a young couple, listen, and you're dating and you are not going to fall into sexual temptation and you're serious about it, then you need to flee from places that you know are places of temptation for you. You're not going to get in trouble in a restaurant. Hello. But in your grandmother's basement when no one's there, hello. Or that parked car in that dark parking lot, hello. Hello. But you need to know how to flee. It's like the guy that came to me years ago. I remember talking to a guy that was struggling with addiction, and he had done so well. He was a pretty hardcore addict before he'd come to Christ, left addiction behind, was doing well, was walking in sobriety for about a year and a half, and then one day he calls me up, and his speech is slurred on the other side of the phone, and he says, hey, pastor, you know, I'm really struggling right now. I said, bro, what happened to you? Where are you? Let me go talk to you. So I drove over, sat down with him. His eyes are all bloodshot. He's ashamed. He's looking down. I said, what happened to you? He said, pastor, I, I thought I was strong. I said, what do you mean you thought you were strong? He said, yeah, you know, the bar used to always go hang out, get, get, you know, get drunk and high with my buddies. Well, you know, I thought I'm strong now, so I'm going to go witness to them, and I was just going to drink a 7-Up. And so I sat down, and they're all talking. I'm, I'm trying to share with them, and, you know, I have my 7-Up, and they're all drinking, and I used to get, and, and, and then after a while, one guy says, hey, bro, what's one beer going to do? Come on, just join us. And I said, okay. So I got one beer, and then I thought, he said, hey, what's what, two beers? And so I got another beer, and then I got another one, and before you know it, I was drunk, and then when I was drunk, I felt so bad that I had to go out and get high and use a harder drug. This is what happened to me. I said, brother, here's the thing. Your problem is you thought you were strong. There are certain things that you just need to assume I am weak, and so I run from temptation. Someone says, hey, come, come, by, bro, have a drink with us. You say, no, I, I got an appointment. I got an appointment with holiness. I got an appointment with the Lord. You need to run. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was working in a house and a married woman came on to him and it said he was young and handsome and she said, I got one here. And she's after him and she's coming on to him. And the Bible doesn't say he stood there and said, I'm, I'm going to be real strong. And she tries to kiss me and caress me. I'm just going to be strong. No, no. The Bible says he ran and he left his coat behind. Listen, sometimes your best fight against temptation is called your two legs. 
Now, some of you are slower than others. You may be shuffle. Some of you may be shuffling, but you need to run out of certain places, run out of certain parties, run out of certain situations because Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, flee, run away from, understand the weakness of your own flesh. When it comes to sexual temptation, when it comes to overindulgence, and when it comes to ego. But you know, he doesn't just tell them to flee. He also tells them what to pursue. You see, some people believe that the Christian life is all about taking things off, not being able to do things. Listen, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm not sure I want to become a Christian because it feels like Christians, there's so many things they can't do. And maybe you're thinking that if you come to church here and decide to be serious about Christ, that we're going to give you a list of do's and don'ts, a rule book. You're still waiting for that. Where's the rule book? We don't have a rule book. In fact, let me tell you, every time God says don't, it's not because he's trying to take away your joy. It's because God is trying to give you greater fulfillment and joy in your life. You're 22 saying, I don't understand it, Pastor. She likes me. I like her. Why can't we have sex together? Because sex is a big deal to God. And the reason that he says no is that if this is going to go to a long-term relationship, a dating relationship that leads to marriage, every time that you cross boundaries in a dating relationship, you are sowing seeds into your future relationship. What seeds are you sowing? You're sowing seeds of disrespect. You're sowing seeds of disillusionment. You're sowing seeds of jealousy. And you will be yanking those weeds out of your marriage for a long time because you sowed those seeds in your dating relationship. That's why sex and purity is a big deal to God. It's not about taking the joy out of your life. It's about giving you long-term fulfillment in your marriage so that you wake up one day 30 years into your marriage and say, what an awesome woman I married. What an awesome relationship that we have. This is amazing. Thank you, Lord. All the married guys, are, all the married men and women are clapping. All the singles are kind of have their arms crossed looking at me like. <laughs> this is a hard truth. And you will definitely be living counterculture if you choose to walk the way of Jesus. But let me tell you, if you're going to walk the way of Jesus, you walk, you, you're, not, you're going to walk a narrow path. And I, I make no apologies about calling you to radically serve King Jesus. No apologies. And I'm not talking about being more religious. I'm talking about being consecrated to your God and your creator who knows what's best for you and who knows what is best for you in the long term. And so the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, flee these things. Understand your own weakness. But he doesn't just tell him to flee. He also tells him what to pursue. And notice he says, flee the desires, evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So he tells them what to run away from, but he also tells them what to run to. If you're going to win the battle, you need to know what to run from, but you also need to know what to run to. And he talks about righteousness. Righteousness is being right with God, living in a way that pleases God and embracing the righteousness of Christ. He also tells us, hey, pursue faith. Can I tell you this? How do you pursue faith? 
Faith comes by. Those of you who have been around in the church, you know what the Word of God says. Faith comes by what? And hearing by what? Oh, come on. A little stronger than that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. Let me tell you, the way that you pursue faith is you pursue exposure to the Word. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, if you want to grow in your faith, get exposed to the Word. The Word of God strengthens your faith. Your faith strengthens your spiritual life and gives you the ability to have victory in your life um, as you pursue God. Have you ever felt as you walked away from church after church service that you were just stronger? You ever felt that? I mean, I feel stronger. Let me tell you what it is. It's not a motivational speech by Pastor Mark. It's the power of the Word of God that exposes you to the presence of God and the truth of the Word of God that strengthens you in your spiritual life. It's the power of the Word. So pursue the Word, not just in church, but pursue the Word. Open up your Bible. Crack it open. It's not only for Sunday morning. Have what old-time Christians used to call a quiet time or devotional time where you open up the Word of God and you read a little bit every day to strengthen your spiritual life. Pursue faith. It also says pursue love. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I've been pursuing love for a long time. No, 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 not that kind of love. Pursue the love that comes from God. Embrace that love so that you can share the love of God with other people as well. Pursue love. How are you loving God? Fill me, God, with a fresh baptism of your love. And then listen to this. It says, pursue faith, righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. What does he mean by peace? He's not talking about world peace. Before you pursue world peace, this is relational peace. In other words, what he's telling you is that as far as it, it's up to you, that you would pursue relational peace with other people that are in you, around you, in your household, in the family of God. And here's, where I want, here's what I want you to really focus on. This is super important. Notice what he says. Hear me well. He says, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Hear me well. Look up at me, people of God. You were never meant to live the Christian life solo. It says you are to pursue these things along with other people that are pursuing God with a pure heart. There are so many people because you've been hurt or because you don't want to be vulnerable or you don't want other people involved in your life that you think that your pursuit of God is a solo pursuit. Listen, if Jesus, if God wanted you to pursue him solo, he would have never invented the church, the community of faith. He would have just said, hey, go out there, get a Bible, go to the mountains, find the ocean, 
connect with me via nature. Get your Bible, worship me on your own. But the Bible, the New Testament, speaks over and over and over and over again about the family of God, the community of faith, the one another's, because you are not a healthy individual if you're simply pursuing God on your own. You are meant for community. And let me tell you this. You will not do very well on your own. So, you made a good choice to be here today. I'm glad you're here. But I'm not naive enough to know that you can be here and be anonymous. Come on, I'm talking to you in the back row there. You can come, you can sit, you can leave early. And I'm talking to you online. Hey, if you're online, I'm glad you're online. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want you to feel guilty because you're online. But if you're online out of laziness, come on, I'm talking to someone there. <laughs> or Pastor, it's, it's the virus. Yeah, but I saw you at Lollapalooza. <laughs> you know, this ain't a Christian virus. This is like... So don't give me, it's the virus. I've seen your Facebook pictures. Hundreds of people around. The virus doesn't just live in the church. So come on. If you're just lazy or avoiding it, you need to be a part of the family of God. You need to be integrated. You need to know people. You need to be worshiping, praying, encouraging one another. So he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to pursue these things along with those who call on the name of the Lord, who are believers, calling on the name of the Lord together, not perfect people, but people that have a pure heart. By pure heart, he means people that are sincere about their pursuit of God. We have people in this church from every walk of life, and some of them, before they came to Christ, you would scoot over from their seats. But we embrace everybody who comes to worship in this place because if you're, pers- if you're pursuing God out of a pure heart, you're a family member of ours. We are so glad you're here. We are so happy that you've chosen to come to the house of God today. So he tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to fight the battle for purity. Secondly, you need to also fight the battle for peace. Notice what it says in verse 23. Don't have anything to do. That means nothing. Zero. Complete avoidance. No tolerance. With foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. How many of you know that we have lived in a season with more stupid and foolish arguments than almost any time before us. And before, maybe you'd have a conversation with people about it. But now, it is limited to a post on social media that people hijack and turn into an argument capital letters, high exclamation points. And suddenly your little comment turns into everybody's battleground. Hello? 
And maybe you're here and you say, well, pastor, I'm a social media warrior. <laughs> and I get it, but, but, but let me say this. If you're arguing over TikTok, if you're Instagramming, fighting back and forth, if your Twitter feed is full of arguments back and forth and who's right and who's not right, and if you're over 55, it's Facebook, of course, but... If you're arguing back and forth and fighting over things, let me tell you, most of what I see on social media is not constructive, is not leading people to Jesus, is not convincing people, is not helping people understand the gospel more. It's usually stupid and foolish arguments that are polarizing and alienating people more and more, are stereotyping people more and more, and do not lead to constructive pursuit of God. And what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, you are being baited into arguing about things that ultimately really don't make a difference in life. And can I tell you something? You say, well, Pastor, I'm just defending the truth. There's a secular encroachment of the world coming against Christians, and there's a lot of misinformation out there, and there is. But let me tell you, being a social media warrior and getting in arguments online is not going to turn the world around. In fact, normally what it does, it pits people more and more against each other because I can't see the smile on your face and I can't see that you're telling me with gently, it feels like you're arguing with me. And I've noticed something about really social media. I mean, I'll, I'll post a little innocent thing. And people are aggressive, and they feel like lions and tigers and going at it. And then I'll meet them in person and say, hey, did you want to talk? No, 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 I didn't didn't really mean anything by that. Wait a second. On social media, you were this aggressive wrestler, fighter, and I meet you in person. You don't want to talk about it? That's where I want to talk about it. I I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to argue over social media. Listen, we have a world that's more and more polarized, more us versus them. Let me tell you, let me, can I talk to believers here for a second? Because that's what the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. And he's talking to Timothy in the context of a world that was very anti-Christian. Let me just say this. When you start feeling like there's a secular encroachment, a very humanistic, anti-God out there world closing in on your Christianity and that it's your job in social media to defend against this world and you start viewing people out there as the enemy, it's very hard to reach the people for Christ when you're seeing them as the enemy and not people who God loves that are lost. And I just want to say that That the heart of Jesus is for people that are far from him. They're not the enemy. It's who Jesus died for. Us, sinners saved by grace. Who were alienated from God. Blind to the things of God. And what the apostle Paul is telling Timothy is, don't spend your time arguing about stupid things and foolish arguments. 
Because they lead to quarrel, and when people are quarreling, they have one thing in mind, how do I win the argument? They're not trying to have a dialogue. They're not trying to have an intelligent dialogue. They're trying to say, how do I up this person with this argument and get, oh, I got them. <laughs> I bet you they can't respond to that. How many of you have done that? <laughs> oh, silent. Okay, I got, <laughs> got you this time. You can't, <laughs> okay. Oh, you say that? All right. <laughs> Hello. I don't know anybody in this congregation Let's come to me and say, Pastor, praise God for Facebook because I was in an argument one day, well, you know, over this, and because there was such a great argument, I came to Jesus. Thank God for Facebook arguments. I don't know anybody, anybody who's come to Christ through a Facebook argument. You know what I know a lot of people that have come to Christ because they said someone reached me I was ignorant to them, but they loved me. I was hard, but they cared. They prayed for me. They invited me. They saw past my belligerent attitude, and they spoke to my heart. They met with me when I was struggling. They put their arm around me when I was isolated and lonely. They spoke with compassion when they could have just disavowed me. I know a lot of people here because someone loved them, not argued with them, that have come to Jesus. Listen, we can be distracted from our main thing by sometimes foolish arguments. And he says, so don't get involved in foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Kind to everyone? Yeah. It means if you can't be kind, if you can't be civil, if you can't uh, speak to people with dignity, then don't engage. Because ultimately, you will do, do more damage for the kingdom. No, Pastor, I'm just standing, standing up for the truth and standing up for Jesus and standing up for new life. Don't stand up for new life, please. Not that way. And if you're going to do it, please don't tell people you come to this church. Seriously. Because people paint everybody in this angry category. I don't want to be painted in an angry category. I want to speak the truth but in love and kindness. And he says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. By the way... Proverbs 20, verse 3. Some of you may want to write this down. The wise Solomon said, It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. It is to one's honor, in other words, value and dignity, to avoid strife. Not to look for it, not to engage in it, I think some people scroll to see what's the next fight they can get into. Come on. I'm talking to some of you here. What's the next fight? Oh, <laughs> found one. <laughs> it's someone's honor, value, to avoid strife. But every fool, in other words, someone that lacks wisdom, is quick to quarrel. 
You know, if you're someone that's always quarreling, quick to quarrel, you say, well, Pastor, that's my personality. I'm Italian and Puerto Rican. No, no, no. Don't blame it on being Italian or Puerto Rican. Just blame it on you quarrel a lot. Don't blame it on your ethnicity. Don't tell, I'm, I'm South Side of Chicago. I just do that. No, no, don't blame it on the South Side either. If you're quarreling a lot, blame it on the flesh. And I know you think that you're doing good, but you know what? Oftentimes we're doing more damage to the kingdom than we are doing good to the kingdom. We oftentimes let ourselves be baited into arguments that really have no construction for the kingdom. If you look at Jesus oftentimes, the Pharisees were constantly baiting him. And they would say, hey, Jesus, what about this or what about that? They were trying to get him into an argument. And notice how many times Jesus just kind of walks around the argument, doesn't give a direct question because he, Jesus was like, I'm not going to get into this big, long battle over the Sabbath. I'm not going to get into a big, long battle over this. I'm going to go to the heart of where things are. Do you remember when Jesus was at the well and a Samaritan woman stopped there? And he said, hey, can I have, a, can I have some water? And this Samaritan woman, she's got an attitude. She's been with five men already. She's jaded. She's cynical. I can almost see her bopping her head like this. And Jesus starts talking to her. And, and, and as he talks to her, she's argumentative. She says, well, you know, the Jews say this, and you're a Jew, and the Samaritans say this, and this is what we believe. What do you believe? And he doesn't go there. He goes to her heart. And he says, well, you've been, married, you've been married five times, and the man that you're living with, he's not even your husband right now. <gasps> if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water that would satisfy your soul. <gasps> you see, he knew that behind that hard, argumentative, difficult, aggressive front was a hurting woman. That swagger... Now, let's argue about religion. It was a front to cover. I'm a woman that's deeply hurt, disillusioned with life, injured by men, cynical about the world, deeply, deeply wounded. And if he was like one of us, we'd have said, oh, you want to argue? Well, I think Jewish people, God says this, and that's not that mountain. You shouldn't worship there. You should worship. Let me pull out my King James Concordance. Now, he didn't go there. He went to her heart because he knew that the issue was really a hurting woman hiding behind argumentation. Can I tell you the people that argue with you the most aggressively sometimes are the one that God is dealing more deeply with. They're running from God. They're hurt by the world. They're angry. I'll never forget, I was preaching in another country and I had, I was done speaking and I had a group of people come up and wanted to meet with me and they were all avowed atheists and they sat down at a table and they wanted to argue science and atheism and the proof of God and so we sat down and had a discussion and they were going to 
they were going to carbon, um, uh, carbon uh, verification of dates on evolution and scientific uh, belief about God. And they started to go down that, and I could tell they were like, they wanted to argue. And I just stopped for a moment. One was the leader of the pack, and she was very aggressive and very agitated and coming at me. And I just said, I, I just stopped for a second. I said, oh, Holy Spirit, help me not argue with them. Help me to love them. And I said to her, when did you become an atheist? And she said, well, when I was about 16 or so. And I said, what happened? Who hurt you? Because I have a feeling that you became an atheist first out of hurt. And then you started to try to build a case against God. She started to weep. She started to, tears started, she was trying to hide it. Tears started to flow down her face. And I said, I just want you to know that the God of the universe loves you. And I know people have hurt you, and it may be people in the church that have hurt you, but you're running from God, and he loves you and pursues you. And I don't want to argue with you. I just want you to know that the God that you are resisting, he is pursuing you with a passionate love. You know, I don't know what happened to that young woman, but I was able to pray with her, and her demeanor after was sharing her heart and openness because it really wasn't about atheism. It was about hurt. So Timothy needed to be reminded by Paul, don't argue with people. Don't see past the facade of argument. It does nothing. You're called to share the love of Jesus with kindness to people that are hurting in this world. They're not the enemies, regardless of what they call you. And it really leads to the last thing, not only purity, peace, but we fight the battle for people. Notice what it says in verse 25. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. He says, now there are people that are going to oppose you, Timothy. They're your opponents. They are belligerent against your faith. Uh, they are people that say, I'm against Timothy. I'm, I'm on the other side. And he said, you must gently instruct them. Gently. Most of us don't talk much about gentleness, but someone has defined gentleness as strength under control. Do you realize that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit? In other words, if the Spirit of God is living inside of you, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, it's a fruit of the Spirit. If God is living inside of you, if the Spirit is living inside of you, there is a, yeah, there's a strength there. There's conviction there. There's power to stand up for what is right, but there's also a gentleness of spirit when it comes to dealing with opponents. Listen to me well, people of God. Oh, I wish I could preach this better. We are not a marginalized minority being oppressed by a secular majority and moving towards extinction and holding on to our faith. We are the people of God full of hope 
invading the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we know that he comes in the end, and in the end, he wins. There is no defense. There is no panic or agitation when God is in control. There's a sense of God so loved the world that he gave his son, and we are communicators of the love of God, not defensive of a brand or a position, not defensive of an ideology or religion. We are carriers of the love of Jesus. We are, yeah, we are a people of hope that carries the gospel of Jesus with love and gentleness, with compassion and persuasion into people's workplaces, into people's study places, into the world around us. That's who we are. And that's why opponents, we can look at someone that opposes us fiercely, that calls us names, you Bible thumper, religious, this, angrily uh, casting you in some version of Christianity that is hateful and bigoted. And you can look at your opponent and you can gently respond in love because Jesus came to love us when we were diehard opponent sinners to him. Paul tells Timothy, respond to your opponents gently. Why? Because our goal is not to win an argument. He says, respond and instruct them in hope. What is hope? Hope is the expectation of a better future based on the promises of God. In hope that God will grant them repentance. In other words, answer them gently. Speak into their heart with the hope that they will be awakened spiritually and say, I don't want to go this way anymore. Repentance means I want to turn from the way that I'm going and pursue another way. So with the hope that God will grant them a heart to turn around from the way they're going, repentance that leads to an opening up of the knowledge of truth. So we understand that a lot of people are blind and darkened by lies that they've been lies that they've been fed by spiritual darkness in their heart, and this is what he says, listen, and that they will come to their senses, in other words, another version says, be awakened and escape the trap of the devil. He says, they are asleep in their trap, so that they may awaken to their senses and escape the traps that have them. Are you following me? This is very important. Listen, can I, can I tell you something about some of those that, that oppose you? I remember there was a mechanic that I would take my car to, and when he found out I was a pastor, he was on a rampage every time I would come. Oh, you're a pastor? Yeah, no pastors, pastors. He went on about religion and pastors and hypocrites, and religion is a business, and most people are thieves that he knows, and he was just angry against pastors passionately angry Christians and pastors and hypocrites and this, very angry. And you say, well, why did you keep taking your car to him? Because I felt like God was after him. Some of the most angry people against Christianity, they're running. They're fighting God. When you're in fight or flight mode, you get aggressive. And so I kept coming in. And talking to him, found out he'd been married three times, divorced, 
living with a woman. Kids weren't talking to him. I found out he was a hurting man. I found out he was really angry. He was empty. And I kept finding excuses to take my car to him. It's like, you know, I think I hear a little sound. That doesn't sound right. I take it in. Hey, something's wrong with my car. You want to, no, no, yeah, I don't see anything yet. But, you know, how you, how you doing? Talk to me about your life a little bit. That son that's not talking to you. And you know what? After some conversation, he opened up, bared his, bared his heart open to me, allowed me to pray for him, started to talk, started calling me pastor, started ministering to him, came to church a few times. I don't know where he ended up spiritually, but I do know this, that if I would have argued with him, I would have just baited, fallen into his bait. But I don't argue. I want to look at his soul and say, but how are you doing? And so what I want you to understand is that people are more important than winning arguments. Winning people is more important than winning arguments. And some of you are so fixated on winning an argument that, in essence, I feel like we'd rather damn someone to hell and win our argument than love them to Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to gently instruct them, praying that they'll come to repentance, and that they'll come to their senses and escape the trap who has taken them captive, the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do their will. I believe that this is an incredible time to be a follower of Jesus. I believe that there are many people that are open and longing to have a touch from God. And I believe that the way we impact our world is not through aggressive argument and opposition and volatile name-calling and polarization. I believe that a church divided even among itself which over this last two years I've seen so many believers pitted against each other and arguing over silly things that it loses its strength. It waters down the power of us pursuing the mission that God has called us to when the church gets consumed in arguing about masks and vaccinations and political and cultural issues and divided and name-calling left and right, but forgets that we are people of the kingdom pursuing the kingdom of God and the message of the kingdom, that we can become so polarized internally that we lose our power externally. Jesus said in John chapter 17 that the church would be one like I and the Father are one, and then they will see the glory of God when we walk in unity. There are certain arguments not worth having. I'm going to ask that you stand. As we close our time together, we try to close with an invitation for prayer. Here's the challenge I want to give you. Is there someone in your life right now that is argumentative, that is anti 
that pokes you, that makes fun of you, that calls you names, especially as it relates to your Christianity. And are you buying into the bait of argumentation? And I'm asking you, do you have a heart for their soul, for their life, for their hurts? And what if you determine, Lord, let me stop arguing. Let me start loving and seeing what's at the heart of this and in grace reaching out to them. So I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you. Those of that have vicious opponents against you. I'm challenging, what if you started to love them like Jesus called you to love them? What if you stopped arguing? And what if you started praying and showing grace? Maybe one day they'll be up at this altar kneeling beside you saying, I need to give my life to Jesus. So if you have someone in your life that you have not prayed, prayed for as much, but just mainly argued with, I'm going to ask that maybe if there's someone in your heart that you would put that in your mind and say, I need to bow my knee before the Father and pray for them. Grace and love and peace. An opportunity to show kindness as I love them in Jesus' name. And maybe you've been one of these people that have found yourself baited into argument after argument, and you find yourself a year and a half into this social upheaval, and you find yourself more angry, more joyless, more pitted against the world than ever before, and you realize, I've allowed myself to become this warrior that battles and fights with people seldom shares the love of Jesus and grace and peace with people. I started to view them as the enemy rather than the people that Jesus died for and loved. And God changed my heart. Give me a softness. Let me see the blindness and the traps and look at them as people that God has loved and died for that deserve gentleness and kindness and prayer rather than argumentation. I know God has spoken to some people here. Maybe you're that person here today. Maybe someone brought you to church and you're just like dying to argue. But if you're honest, you're hurt, you're angry, you're empty, you need a touch of God.